interviewing top sports personalities from around the nation in order to provide you next-level insight and analysis into your Cleveland Browns. Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents All Eyes on Cleveland. And now, here is your host, Brad Ward. And we are absolutely thrilled to welcome into All Eyes on Cleveland, a friend of show, uh, always uh, glad to have him on, the one and only Nick Shook, a writer for Around the NFL. You often see him on NFL Network with his fantastic statistical breakdowns and analysis. Nick, it's wonderful to talk with you today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we wanted to, you know, I wanted to get you on and get your thoughts on everything Brown's going on right now, but really kind of with a focus on, you know, Jacksonville and turning towards the, you know, joint practices this week. But obviously the young players for the Browns kind of showed out in Jacksonville. I wanted to get your thoughts, uh, you know, the most popular topic probably, uh, Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa. I saw your tweet about him uh, getting to uh, almost 15 miles an hour or whatever in like 1.8 seconds. Um, obviously he's fast obviously he is a tremendous athlete what else did you see from him that jumped off the off of uh, the tape or off of uh, just the TV screen when you watched him uh, play his first NFL game I I think a lot of his college skills um, translated at least in his first professional action now you know he's not playing he Jacksonville did play a decent amount of starters but it is preseason, so you kind of have to take it with a grain of salt. But some of the things that he really thrived in doing um, at Notre Dame, you know, the way that he kind of sheds blocks by dipping under them, it's, you know, you see Micah Parsons do that a little bit too out of Penn State playing for the Cowboys. And and it, it might worry a, an evaluator, you know, who might question his physicality or his ability, ability to take on blocks, but it really becomes a weapon in scenarios such as this because, um, you know, he is a little bit undersized, but he's he's slippery. And, and usually you think of the running back, but you could also be a slippery defender, avoid blocks, and then get the ball carriers. And he did that on a couple occasions in that game on Saturday night. Um, the, you know, the, the one tackle that he had that, that went around the Internet uh, in the fourth quarter. Gatter behind the line of scrimmage. That was great. And, of course, the other one that I had tweeted about, which is, you know, he was close, He closed that gap so quickly. It's his explosiveness. It's his speed. He's essentially built like a box safety um, playing linebacker. But in today's NFL, you you know, most defenses or a good amount of defenses are running nickel packages at 50% or more. Uh, if you go look at the breakdown of personnel groupings, for every NFL defense, a lot of them are running sub-packages, nickel packages, you know, with two linebackers, five DBs. So if you can replace one of those linebackers with a faster, maybe smaller guy who looks more like a box safety, like a Jeremiah Uzukoromo, then suddenly you become that much better as a defense um, in this pass-happy league. So I think that he impressed a lot of people who were probably surprised or might have been not have been as familiar with him coming out of Notre Dame. I was a little bit surprised just because, you know, I, I talked to the guys over the Browns, you know, Nathan Zagura and Bo Bishop, and they they told me a lot about, you know, they were just blown away by how he looked in, in shorts and helmets. And I was like, well, yeah, that's great, but it's, it's shorts and helmets. You know, it's the yeah. key once we actually hit the field. But hitting the field and, and playing the way, like the way he did um, on Saturday night was, it was encouraging. And like I said, it was a little surprising just because 
the size difference. I was out there last week at practice, and um, and and you can even from the sideline you can see that he is a smaller line. He was standing next to um, I think it was next to Mac Wilson or, or another like more traditionally built linebacker. And I was like, yeah, he's he's yeah. small, but but he hits above his weight, and that's what's important. So um, it was it was a good debut for him. It was a good debut. It was uh, I was shocked as well. I didn't know that you know I didn't expect it to for him to kind of you know flash that that soon. I thought it would take him some time, and obviously I think he you know he's playing his plenty of lines still. But it was it was an excellent debut. My question for you, I guess, is how do you think the Browns use him this year? Is he going to be playing in that traditional like well linebacker role? You think that he wins that role and probably takes that over, and then. Uh, or, or do you think that they're going to use him more of kind of like that overhang, like safety, uh, you know, that that Viper type role or, or big dime, big nickel type role? Uh, I think he carries more potential than just that. I don't think he's quite like a Deion Buchanan. I think he's a little bit more than that. So he, he's got a chance. I think he'll be a rotational player, but an important one. Um, you know, he's not it, – it, it really depends how you kind of look at the evolution of the linebacking position because you do have a lot of guys who thrive now because of their ability to go sideline to sideline and they're great tacklers like Darius Leonard and stuff. But those, most of those guys are still a little bit bigger. Um, but I, I mean, he, I think he was listed under 230. And so, but I, I do think that he's got value and I think he'll be out on the field more often than not because you want your playmakers out there. So it's, it's yeah. a little bit of like an in-between area and he's obviously going to have value on, on pass coverage downs. Um, but I also think that he showed he can, he can play on first and second down potentially as well. So it'll be interesting, but I don't think that he's necessarily an every down linebacker, but he's could be a most down linebacker, especially if he continues on his trajectory. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, I kind of feel I, I, yeah, I feel like he fits more in that, in that, you know, linebacker role and, and less in that kind of, you know, keep, I don't really want to see him play that, overhang safety role as much. I would more rather see one of their safeties do that, but uh, I think it would be more effective in that linebacker role because I think he can tackle and I think he can do the things like that we saw him do on Saturday night. So it'll be interesting to see how they use him, though. Um, you're talking, we are talking with uh, Nick Shook, a writer from around the NFL here on All Eyes on Cleveland with a uh, quick catch-up interview here after an exciting weekend of uh, the NFL kicking off its preseason. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones has kind of been the story of Brown's camp. I mean, you can't really get away from him. I mean, he's kind of forcing us, Nick, to talk about him um, by how good he has been. Uh, and he didn't disappoint on Saturday night, you know, with a pretty incredible uh, back shoulder catch with one arm and a couple other good good catches in the game. I think he caught four balls, right? Three or four balls. Um, yeah. And uh, do you think that he has, in your opinion, do you think he has jumped for Shard Higgins on the Browns' depth chart? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, because, I mean, yeah, he's been to talk at camp, and he was Case Keenan's favorite target on Saturday yeah. night, that's for sure. Um, I think he's got a great chance, too, if he hasn't already. And, and I don't I don't know necessarily, I mean, you think about how they really, like, roll out their guys because you get Jarvis in the slot, you know, you, you bank on Odell being healthy, and you can yeah. go four wide, and it could be either of the two. If, if it was me, I'm taking DPJ over Richard Higgins, and, that, and I have, you know, no, no knock on Hollywood at all, but 
and he's got a great rapport with Baker, which I think carries value. But but DBJ, I mean, he was a guy I loved at the Combine uh, a couple of years ago. I just sitting there watching him go through his workouts. I was like, man, this kid, somebody's going to get a steal when they draft this kid. So when the Browns go up and draft him, I was like, all right, Andrew Barry, you're the one making getting the steal. Um, I, so I would pick him because I like his athletic potential. I think he's going to be, he's going to blossom into something. And we're going to look back and be like, wow, like I can't believe they got him as late as they did in the draft. Uh, I, I don't know what Kevin Stefanski's thinking in terms of what he values more, whether it's rapport with the quarterback or, or you know, upside. Yeah, it's interesting because you know they probably have him. They probably have him looking at him like he's a part of their future, right? And, and that I wonder how much that weighs into it. Is is like you know that room is a mystery after this year, right? A little bit. Uh, so a lot of question marks on what's going to happen well, with that wide receiver room. Like, yeah, I mean, it is, it is, but it's not because if you look at the receiver salaries between Odell and Jarvis right now, and then you look at the scout, the the way the salary cap is increasing, and and what younger guys or other guys elsewhere are getting paid now, it actually doesn't look that expensive anymore. It's just a matter of how much money do you want to have dedicated to a certain position? Because if you look at the salary cap right now, Browns top two earners this year in terms of their cap dump hit this year are Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry one and two. So. Um, you know, there is a question there, but at the same time, the cap's supposed to go up significantly next year, and those aren't necessarily top two, three, four, five contracts anymore. So it's feasible to carry them if you want to or figure a way out. It's a, but you're right. It's a, it is a mystery, but I don't think the sense of urgency is quite there. I do know that, and I don't, I'm just going to go off on a little tangent here for a second. I don't know yeah. what it is with Browns fans, but they have this weird desire, this almost obsession with trying to figure out how to trade Odell with the slant of, uh, we're going to trade Odell to spend, you know, get assets to upgrade elsewhere. And it's like, you look at your roster on paper right now, it's a pretty solid roster. What is flipping Odell necessarily going to get you immediately that, that is worth getting rid of him? It's like they expected this guy to come in and, and be Jerry Rice in terms of statistical <laughs> records right away, and he hasn't been healthy for a long time. I just think you let it ride and enjoy him while you got him, and remember how excited you were when you got him, and don't expect him to go for 350 receiving yards and five touchdowns every game, and, and let him yeah. get through a healthy season instead of getting ready to pack his bags for him when he really <laughs> still hasn't been here very long. <laughs> I mean, I hear you. I hear you, and there's a lot of that for sure. I think it's like a fear of him just not moving up to what he was supposed to be. You know what I mean? It's just a fear yeah, of that. I, just and and that. I think that he's got unfair expectations on him too. You know, he'll even say this. He, he and that, like I said, that's no question on track. But but he 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 said in the past, you know, making that catch as a rookie changed his whole life and put the yeah. expectations through the roof for him. And, and he's a great player. Um, yeah. I think people just need to get a little more realistic. And I mean, every time I tweet or write about anything Browns receiver related, whether it's DPJ or whether it's OBJ, and we're just going to go with JLK and all the other acronyms in the Browns at this point, um, <laughs> I always get a response from somebody. It could be a bot. I don't even know that that says something along the lines of, "Hey, who, what do you think we can get for Odell in a trade? How can we put that for something better elsewhere?" <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and the in the in the honest truth of it is too, he's probably at his lowest value you could ever trade him at right now in his entire career. So it, you you want to see him play it out too, and and I definitely want to see him play out this year because I think that he could take the the offense to the next level if he just like even just played a role on this team as your number one right to see. Like he doesn't have to be 
record-breaking old Odell. He just has to be their number one wide receiver, and I think it would take them to, like, the next level, you know? Um, right. And, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to see him, and I hope, hope, hope he can stay healthy and everything. But, yeah, I mean, to be fair, I would say this, though, Nick, in, in when, you know, you talk about OBJ, everybody has their feelings about him. I would say that he also needs to be, not that he has spoken out about this or anything, but you see it in his body language a lot. I think that he also needs to be realistic about what he expects out of this offense this year as well. That's fair to an extent, but I also think that anybody who's watching Odell on the sidelines has to understand that the camera's pointed on him more often than any other player on the sideline. And no so doubt. you're going to see those moments him more often, and it could look disproportionately, um, you know, prevalent with him. And, and yes, no doubt. And I and if you're if you if you're in person and you witness what he's doing, he's usually not like that most of the time. But he gets frustrated when he gets frustrated. He's you know he shows it in his like you said in his body language. It's just that there's so many cameras on him, and I'll always defend him for the, in this regard. Not as if he's like a family member or anything, but just because I think he gets unfairly treated because he's such a notable figure. Um, the, the immediately they're immediately going to Odell. Something's going on with the Browns. Let's go find Odell. Oh, he's sitting on a cooler. He looks dejected. Let's take photos of it. Let's spread it all over the place. When in reality, he's not that type of distracting presence in the locker room that he's made out to be. Correct. Yeah, he hasn't been in Cleveland at all. You're absolutely right. I agree with that. Uh, but if you, yeah. if, depending on who you ask, you ask an average Browns fan, you might have a, something out for him. They might tell you he is, even though he's not. And that's that's probably my issue with the whole thing. Yeah, I, I get that. I totally get that. He, he's been a pretty much a model citizen since he's been here, except for which, which what I would say is his body language at times. Uh, and but you're right, he does. You know, he does have the camera on him all the time. So. Uh, you know, it's probably not really pro- disproportionately uh, fair to him uh, because if you were to do that to any wide receiver in the league, they may you may see some of that, right? So I, I, I agree. Uh, good points, absolutely, all around. And uh, here's my last question on this topic for you. It is an interesting topic. What do you think Donovan Peoples-Jones' ceiling is? I mean, like, so, like, I look at him as, like, hey, the Browns should really embrace this kid as, like, you know, whenever OBJ runs out the string in Cleveland or Landry runs out his string in Cleveland, he should be there. They should be looking at him like their future number two wide receiver. Is he good enough to be a number one in the NFL someday, you think? Uh, maybe. He's got the physical tools. I think it's just a matter of experience and putting it all together. But, I mean, you look at catches like the one he made on the sideline. That's what you look for out of a top guy is to make that type of catch. It's a glimpse. It's 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 a flash. If you see it more often, then he starts to rise to that to that level. Uh, I think back to you know the rise of Stephon Diggs, who for yeah. so long, you know, was considered one A in in Minnesota, Thielen being one B, or you know you could call him one and two, whatever it was. Um, and and nobody expected anything out of him, and he kind of flashed at first in preseason, the Hall of Fame game, in, in fact, and and then you know steadily rose from there. Uh, different types of receivers, but if you see some of those qualities that kind of separate receivers, you know, he could potentially be one. Uh, I think there's a little bit of an argument of what defines a number one receiver because I, I had this talk uh, the other day with a former uh, coworker of mine who still works in media and is a Washington fan, and he was telling me how Terry McLaurin is a, an elite number one. And I'm like, no, he's not. He's he, he's I don't even know if he really is quite a number one. He's, you know, maybe by – where he is on the depth chart, but in terms of style, maybe not yet. It just depends on what you 
use to define a number one. He's an elite number two for sure, but yeah. is he a number one yet? I don't know. So it, it depends on how you define what you look for in your number one receiver. Um, and you could sure. go across the board. I mean, Diggs is your number one in, in uh, Buffalo. Uh, Jefferson's your number one in, in Minnesota. Ridley's now the number one in Atlanta. Um, but it just depends on what you're looking for in your scheme. So, but I, I think he's got the, you know, for to make a long answer, very, very long. Uh, I think he's got the physical tools to potentially be one. It's just a matter of fit and, and opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I, yeah, I just think he, he does have the tools there, and, and he's he's certainly put the work in and shown some improvement over the year. The thing I, I wonder about, you know, and I said I was going to get off this topic, but I'm not because I think it's interesting, though. And I, and I got on this with somebody else, too, Nick, and give me your thoughts on this is, Richard, Richard Higgins, you know, we're talking about him jumping Richard Higgins as wide receiver three, and I think that kind of ultimately there may not be a really one person to wide receiver three with the Browns. They'll probably all have a little bit of a role in there. So that's kind of a loaded question a little bit. But as far as Higgins goes, the, if you look at like, okay, back to 2019 and the doghouse was Freddie, but when he gets on the field, he, he balled out. And then last year even, it was Hodge and people's jumps before him and he wasn't even dressing and then eventually he gets on the field but when he got on the field he was fantastic last year i almost wonder if higgins is just a better is just a gamer maybe he doesn't you know show out and practice like these other guys do but when it comes game day he's just been fantastic any game that he's been in he's been reliable he gets open uh, he has that connection with Baker. I wonder if that's just, you know, he, he makes it impossible for you to take him off the field. He's been so good when he gets in. I wonder if, the, is there any, you think there's anything to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I've seen him make plays in practice before, but, I, you know, I, I think about past practice heroes that didn't pan out, and then I think of, think of the opposite. And, and, I mean, Higgins is... You you can see his ceiling, but he's right place, right time, knows what to do in the right situations, has a good rapport with his quarterback. I think that's what makes him effect. And sorry, I mean, let's not forget at one time the Browns cut this guy uh, sure. you know, before bringing him back. So um, I think it you know it is often about fit and it's often about opportunity, but it's also about relationships. And and I think that he was wise in taking less money to come back last year to play with Baker again because he understands you know that that type of connection that they have is fairly rare. You can put a lot of guys with a lot of players, and sometimes they just don't fit. Maybe you've seen a little bit of that with Odell and Baker and the way the offense is, you know, with multiple coordinators at this point. Um, but sometimes they just fit naturally, and, and then they are able to get the most out of a guy. I think that's what you see out of Richard Higgins uh, with the Browns and with Baker Mayfield on the field. So I don't know if it's necessarily he doesn't quite flash. I just think that we know his ceiling more and that you're getting – close to the most out of him with Baker on the field, and, and it's been productive. Yeah, it makes sense. You, we are talking with the uh, one and only Nick Shook of around the NFL. He's fantastic. I'm not going to keep you much longer here, Nick. Just a couple more questions for you, okay? Uh, Demetrius yep. Felton obviously looks fantastic in his wide receiver role. Uh, he looks like he could be a weapon for this team. Uh, again, you know, preseason and all. My question, I guess, when when it comes to this is, and Stefanski mentioned it, that he's going to take a look at Felton in the running back role and give him some carries. Is Dearness Johnson's job potentially on the line? Like, at what point do we say, you know, Felton can do what Dearness Johnson does potentially 
uh, or maybe not as good, but if it got to that point, he can still carry the ball for us if we got to the point where we needed a running back three, and that's a place where we can save a roster spot. Or do you think that they value Dearness Johnson like, okay, he's our running back three, and we view Felton as a completely different kind of weapon? Uh, I think Felton, it would fit your flex category more than anything because I don't, I don't see him getting a lot of carries even in that situation. I think they like the fact that he could do a variety of things. You could bring him out in shotgun and throw the ball to him out of the backfield. You can split him out wide. You could put him in a bunch pair set like they did on Saturday, um, out wide with another receiver next to him. And he's shifty enough and smaller, you know, small enough to kind of, um, make a difference. I mean, that's kind of how he was used in college. Um, yeah. and, and so I think that, that's kind of how they see him fit more than a traditional running back. So I don't necessarily think that it's that Dearness Johnson's job would be on the line in that regard. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he's got a rapport with this team for a couple, going back a couple of years now too. So um, they know what they can get out of him, and I think it's it you know it goes you know it's worth saying that that he's been on this team for a couple of years despite all the changes and everything else. So. I think it's just another weapon that you can explore with, with Felton. And I also think that the uh, return game has something to do with it as well, as we continue yeah. to monitor, you know, who's going to get those returns, punts, kicks, that kind of thing, and, and who's viable. Because right now I don't, you know, you, you, Ryan Swiss are no longer available, and then you've got, uh, you know, Jojo Natson and and, um, and Felton being one of them, and, and there's one more too. So it's like, you know, if he ends up being your most valuable return option and can split out wide sometimes, then suddenly he's valuable and he's going to make the roster no matter – how many running backs are there? Yeah. Interesting. Very good. Uh, all right. Yeah, Richie LeCount. Richard LeCount looks good. Uh, red wine kind of dinged up. I felt, I felt Nick, like that was a good um, thing. LeCount kind of flying all over the field was able to show some athleticism, uh, his range on that one play, which he should have intercepted. And I, I felt like I, I was hoping from day one when they took him that he would – jump Redwine and kind of force him off the roster. I hope that happens. Um, In your mind, do you think that that's a viable outcome? I think if he keeps playing the way he's played played in that preseason game so far, and and he's been kind of all over the field in practice, at least the practice I was at, he he was, you know, right there in the action on multiple occasions as well. In fact, it it got to the point where I was like, oh, I'd like look his number up. Uh, yeah. just to confirm who I was seeing out there. Um, and yeah. then it carried over to the precinct game. So if he plays like that for two more games, then he's got a good shot, uh, especially because you just haven't seen that much out of Sheldrick Redwine in the past, um, whether he's been hurt or they haven't put him on the field until they've absolutely needed to. Um, it, what's interesting to me, though, is Joe Wood's penchant for liking to go with three safety looks because you've already got Ronnie yeah. Harris and you've got Grant Delpit, you've got John Johnson. So do they keep, you know, instead of, just having three or you know, having the standard four safeties, two free safeties, two strong safeties, do they keep a fifth? Do they keep, uh, uh, you know, is there room for both is basically my question when it comes yeah. to that. And, but I yeah. think if he keeps, I mean, in his position, you can only do one thing, which is play your tail off and hope for the best, and I think he's doing that right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Richard McCann a lot. I think he can do a good job for them in that in that backup role. I think that's an improvement over red wine uh, in the future, at least especially as it grows into the role more. My my only takeaway from Saturday that I was kind of uh, disappointed with, and, and a couple things here, is on the defensive side of the ball, but on in the interior defensive line and also uh, on the edge. So no Tack McKinley, right, Nick? And we don't know what's going to happen with that, and we hope the best for Tack McKinley, but 
with the personal tag and everything and a and no timetable for a return. It's rather ominous, and, and we don't know if he's going to come back ultimately, right? So when you look at the depth in that room and it looks like your first guy there is Porter Gustin and then it's between Cameron Malveaux and and uh, Weaver, uh, it's not great compared to what you were potentially looking at with, with Tack there and and what you thought was, hey, you know, if Clowney gets dinged, which he has a history of, we have Tack. If Clowney has to kick inside, we have Tack. You know, uh, Port Augustine is kind of a, a fall off as far as that's concerned, at least in my opinion. So depth at the edge position, I think, is a little bit of a concern. And nobody is really grabbing this interior defensive line position, right? Like, like they have guys that they that should start, right, with Billings and and uh, uh, Jackson and, and 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 everything. But then, like, you've got your Elliots and Togi guys. And the one guy that I thought played really well was Sheldon Day, and I thought that it was interesting that they pulled him off the field that early, too, and treated him, almost gave him the veteran treatment. And, and maybe they do value him higher than that. Um, thoughts on guys stepping up and taking that? Like, they got so much talent in that interior defensive line room, but nobody's really grabbing that 2-3-4 role. I guess Billings is, but he, he wasn't like terrific by any means in the in the preseason. I know it's preseason. But nobody's really grabbing that role from what I can gather in camp or in the game uh, on the interior defensive line. And that seems to be a little bit of a concern to me. And then same thing with that, that depth at edge, if there is no Tech McKinley, is, should, should I be concerned about that? No, I wouldn't be as concerned about the edge. I actually personally am a slight fan of Porter Gustin, just as a guy you have to okay. turn to in a, in the, an emergency or something like that. He's okay. gritty. He's kind of a guy that you know he's never going to blow somebody away, but he's going to he's going to continue to fight through a rush and, and get home here and there. Yeah, uh, great motor. He, he's going to be yeah. somebody that you, yeah, exactly. He's going to be somebody that you can't just bully, and I and I do appreciate that. Um, I think in the defensive interior. You know, you could if you're looking for a reason to be concerned, you could find a minor one. But I really think, above all, if all those guys are healthy when you get to week one, you really shouldn't be worried about it too much. Um, okay. I, I think that being in the same system for a second year, I know you obviously have a new guy in, in Malik Jackson. You have Andrew Billings, who wasn't with the team last year. Um, I, I'm actually kind of expecting Jordan Elliott to make a bit of a contribution this year, and, uh, okay. and, and I, I just—they have an appearance of a team that's well coached and prepared, and and I have I have to kind of lean on that when it comes to doing your job up front. It, you're gonna miss Sheldon Richardson, you're gonna miss Larry Ogan Joe because you're used to what they produce, and this is—it's not gonna look quite the same, I don't think. But I don't think the drop off is so severe that you have to really be seriously concerned about it. Um, as long as those guys are healthy. If you have injuries, then you, then that starts to be a concern. Um, it, it was probably the biggest risk they took in, in revamping their defense was, was letting each of them walk, well, cutting Richardson and letting Ogan Joby walk. But, you know, you can't solve every issue. So, um, you know, while keeping yourself in a good, healthy cap situation when you've got other guys yeah. you're going to have to pay going forward. So, yeah, you hope that... that the edge guys, you know, can kind of compensate for some of that, but I also don't think I would be too concerned uh, about them. I would trust that as a group they'll play better. What did you think of What do you think of Sheldon Day? Do you think he actually has a legitimate shot to be like a three or four 
in that rotation, or is, or is that kind of a am I kind of is that seem like a little far fetched with talent? No, like, no, Kelly I mean, yeah. until you get it there. No, because Togi is a rookie and and might take some time to develop. He didn't look, you know, he didn't jump off the screen for me in that game, and and Day did make some nice plays. So you know, I think in this type of situation, they potentially go for a guy like Day over a guy like Togi, or you keep them both. It just depends on how the numbers kind of shake out. I don't think you should expect to have a star-studded roster in every position, of course. But um, yeah. you know, so every once in a while, you get guys who rise up from you know the middle or the lower part of the roster to make an impact. That that really sometimes only do it within that team. They could go somewhere else and never replicate it. Yeah. Um, and and you could expect something like that out of you know a guy like Sheldon Day potentially. I mean, I'm not saying that you know it's like a guarantee, but if you see flashes of it, they end up carrying over. I, I above all, I, I think that the most important thing with a roster like this, this is not the four and twelve Browns of old. So really, what you want more than any excuse me, anything at this point is to come out healthy. I agree completely. Uh, so, yeah, you made me feel better about that situation because you're absolutely right. They look so professional and so well-coached and everything, and we'll finish things up here, and you've been fantastic as always. Nick, last final two questions, real quick ones for you. Who wins the kicker competition? Uh, Chase McLaughlin. There we go. I like that. All right. The ball just booms off his foot a little better, doesn't it? He just seems a little bit, I don't know. He seems better yeah. than me. Yeah, he just, he, he even looks the part a little bit more, too. Uh, you know, Cody Park did a nice time, but it's it's McLaughlin's time. Agree. And then uh, what about quarterback two, you know? Brown fans are going crazy with the, uh, you know, this no. they can save this. No, much. I'm going I'm to stop, stop you right there. I'm stopping yeah. you right there. It, like, don't get excited over Kyle Loletta. Okay. Let it go. Okay. Case Keenum is under contract for a reason. Hey. It's like the old Tom Moore saying, we don't gain, or, what is it? Uh, if 18 goes down, we're bleeped, and we don't practice bleeped. Uh, well, <laughs> if six goes down, five is the only bet, is the best, you know, the, the backup is the best chance that you have of still being competitive with all the other talent around you. Uh, so let's not get into dreamland here with Kyle Loletta. Look, yeah. man, this is the same town that once fell in love with a, a running back named Benjamin Gay once. Okay? Yeah. Uh, so the preseason is great for a lot of things and for stories like this, uh, Damon Sheehy, Giuseppe being another one, but we also have to be realistic and understand why guys are getting paid, what they're getting paid, and where they are on the roster and, and for what reason. Hey, I'm with you, man. I'm totally – I totally agree because, for me, like, Case Keenum is, like, probably maybe the best backup you could have in the NFL or at least up there as a guy that could come in for a couple games if he needed to and keep you in a playoff race. so And, and I, I'm not sure Kyle Willetta is that or, or will he's be. Not. So. I, I, he's not. He, he, <laughs> you know, enjoy the, the fun during the preseason, but all I needed to see was standing on the field watching them throw last week. And it's, I, I'm not even going to say anything beyond that. He's not that guy. I, I, you know, I like his story. I like where he came from. Anything else? Yeah. Great. Yeah. But he's not. Yeah. All right, I, I like that. We don't, we don't, uh, we don't practice uh, bleeps. I like that. That's a great quote. All right, uh, as always, fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You're wonderful uh, with your uh, so gracious time, Nick. We appreciate it. Friend of the show, Nick Shook, uh, writer, reporter for Around the NFL, catching on the NFL Network with his breakdowns and statistical analysis. Always really good uh, stuff there as well as his writing at Around the NFL. Nick, thank you as always, sir. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Yep.